a little bit of a treat. We've got Dr. Kimberly Early and hello. Hello, welcome. When's the last oh. time you were here? Uh, I don't think I was here at all through COVID last year. Oh my Maybe, goodness. maybe at the beginning of the year. Is your mum listening? I don't know. I sent her a message just as I was running up the stairs. <laughs> oh, shoot. We better Short do notice. A, we better do a hello. Hello, mum, if you're there. <laughs> Hi, Kimberly's mum. Look, you're here to answer any questions today, and I know a lot of people are excited to hear your voice again, and I'm sure lots of questions coming through. And it's just you and I today. Daniel Carrington's normally in, but lucky buggers on holidays. That's all right. That's more room for calls. So come in, give me your calls. Oh, lucky See what style. we can do. Yeah. Now, we've had uh, Meldy ask a question about about her cat, Kimberly. Her mm-hmm. cat's eating a lot more but getting thinner and thinner. Do you have any suggestions on that? Yeah, so that's always a concern, particularly in an older cat. Meldy hasn't specified whether her cat is old, but I would always be concerned uh, in an older cat. Um, the three old cat diseases that we most commonly see can all cause that sort of symptom. So a cat with a good appetite who seems to be losing weight despite the fact that they're not leaving their food behind. Um, hyperthyroidism, which is an overactive thyroid disease is going to be probably one of the number one issues. Um, Diabetes we see in cats, it's a bit like our human type 2 diabetes and it can cause them to be hungry but losing weight. And the third one is kidney disease um, where the cats are eating well. Usually initially they're eating well um, but they're losing protein through the kidneys. So a lot of the proteins that they're taking in is actually being um, filtered out or not filtered out through the kidneys. It's just being lost through the kidneys and so they can lose weight. So um, any cat that's losing weight with a good appetite, old or young, um, definitely deserves a vet visit um, and probably expect that your vet's going to want to run a bit of blood work because we can we can treat most of those conditions. Certainly diabetes and hyperthyroidism can be um, very easily treated yeah. or or, um, or regularly treated. Um, kidney disease, there's no cure for kidney disease, but there's lots of things that we can do to try to help slow the progression and to um, keep those cats' kidneys going for as long as possible. And, and lots of cats with kidney disease w- will live for that with that condition for quite some time with a good quality of life. Great advice. Let's go to George now. Uh, George, you were wanting to know about worming prevention. You've got a three-year-old Labrador. Excellent, George. Hi, George. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Yourself? Not too bad at all. Um, So our standard in Australia, our standard sort of protocol for worm prevention um, for most dogs is going to be that we want them to have an intestinal all-wormer tablet every three months. Um, something that will do tapeworm, whipworm, hookworm, and roundworm. Now, if your dog happens to also be eating a lot of um, raw meat or offal, or if you're on a farm or property, you may want to do that more frequently. Um, if they um, if they don't have any exposure to those sorts of things, it may not be as critical. In in other countries in the world, there is a tendency to do re- routine fecal analysis rather than just worming them. Um, but Australia, for for whatever reason, I don't I don't think it's a right or a wrong thing. Those tablets are fairly innocuous most of the time. Um, you know, we've sort of taken the line of just doing the um, the the dosing for them. Is your um, is your pet having any problems, or you're concerned about worms? No, I'm not. I mm-hmm. just want to check on products that I'm giving my dog. Oh, right. I, okay. I, I think I think I might be overdoing it. Okay, sure. So, well, there are some monthly products that will also incorporate a flea tick and or heartworm preventative, and they're needing to be given on a monthly basis. Um, yes. But it, it depends on which products you're using. So, um, well, I'm u- I'm using NextGuard Spectra, mm-hmm. which is a monthly product. Yep. Yes. Yes. It covers. Heartworm. It does. Roundworms, hookworms, whipworms. Yep. 
and flea tapeworms. Flea tapeworm, right? So it doesn't it doesn't um, treat the hydatid tapeworms, which is the ones that we're particularly worried about if they're eating a lot of raw meat or if they're on a property. Um, the reason you need to give that monthly, and you absolutely need to give it monthly, is for the um, the heartworm prevention and for the tick prevention. Those products won't give you any long lasting um, uh, sort of not longer than the four-week time frame protection from those products. So from a, a worming, intestinal worming standpoint, it's highly unlikely that they need to be done that often. But again, the products are safe and they don't accumulate in the system. So that's not a problem at all. So I would keep using it as per package instructions every month because ticks and heartworm kill dogs. Kimberly, just yeah. a question on that. Um, the, the heartworm that you said you're concerned about, Yes, is that medication that you can't start until you check their heart? Is that a rumour or is that... No, yeah, so these days most of the products on the shelf will be safe to give if your dog has a heartworm infection. There are older products and certain drugs that if you were to give them when your dog had a heartworm infection, there there's a concern that they could kill the heartworms that are live in the heart and we don't know about it and then you can end up with problems like blood clots in the lungs, blood clots in the heart, because you don't know that you've actually literally got dead worm that's breaking apart in oh. the body. But the products like NexGuard Spectra, um, really any of those, there's, there's a whole raft of them. Those products are safe. They won't kill the heartworm that's active in the dog's body. Having said that, we would still recommend a test if they've not been previously treated, because the trouble with heartworm is we never see the signs of the disease until they've got heart worms in the heart right. and the potentially causing heart failure. If you don't look for it, you won't see it until the dog's already in big trouble. And not every dog will survive their treatment for heartworm disease. Most of them do, but occasionally not. And so we would always recommend to people that if your dog has missed a period of prevention for heartworm, that we do do a test just to be confident that there isn't uh, something else to treat, you know, that yeah, there isn't a heartworm yep. disease to treat. And then you can, you know, move forward knowing that your pet is, is free and clear and safe. Excellent. Let's mm -hmm. go to David in Hinton. He sent us an email. Uh, now, he said that his dog has diarrhea, a seven-year-old uh, German shepherd. Okay. Um, so, listen, diarrhea and diarrhea can come up for a, a huge range of different mm. reasons. And so we really need to know whether or not this is chronic diarrhea, whether this is acute diarrhea. Acute diarrhea may be as simple as the dog has gotten into the rubbish or eaten something that they shouldn't, um, and it might last for you know one or two days and then, and then resolve. And in those cases, we would recommend feeding a really bland diet, so something like cooked chicken and rice, or there's a lot of sort of sensitive stomach foods that you can get um, at a vet hospital or sometimes in a pet shop, something really bland and easy to digest, no bones, no harsh vegetables, no raw meat for... You you know, two to four days until that sort of settles down. And as long as the pet is bright and happy and otherwise acting normally, a bit of diarrhea isn't going to be a major concern. However, if there's diarrhea and your pet is off their food, if they're lethargic, if they're not drinking, that requires a vet visit straight away. On the other hand, if we have a German Shepherd who has chronic diarrhea, where the owners are constantly noticing, you know, that the, the stools are never very formed, things like that, then I would recommend um, 
pick up a fecal sample, take it into your vet and have a discussion because there's a whole raft of different things that could be things as simple as worming. And so always check that your pet has been wormed recently, but there may be food intolerances. There may be inflammatory bowel disease. There may be issues where they can't um, digest certain products in the food. Um, We get um, pancreatic insufficiency where they're not absorbing things that can cause diarrhea. So, you know, it's a complex issue, not as quick as just sort of saying, yep, use this. Um, You can use probiotics and try those. They're not going to cause any harm. Um, But if that's not worked, you know, within a few days, then definitely a trip up to the vet is worthwhile. Okay. Uh, Let's go to the phones again. Hello, if you phone for Pet Chat, who have I got here? Me, George. Oh, George, you're still there. Yes, I got cut off. You got cut off. Oh, no, George, we'd actually finished the call. Actually okay. finished the call. Have you got another yeah, question? I hadn't, I hadn't finished. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. What, what, what else can we answer for you? Okay. Should I give Luke Endergaard as well as the Spectra, Nexgaard Spectra? Um, I'm not super, not super confident with what I know exactly what's in Endergaard, but probably not. Um, unless you feel that there's a, a risk of tapeworm infection um, outside of that, and if Endoguard says it'll do hydatid tapeworms, you could pop one of those down once or twice a year. Um, but other than that, you know, the Spectra should really take care of, of everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Any more questions does, there, George? Endoguard does include hydatids. Yeah, so if you're feeding your dog a lot of raw meat or if they've got access to a property, then you can certainly do that. I wouldn't do it more than every three months. Um, but you know, and it probably doesn't need to be that often even, but, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're doing that sort of thing, then Endoguard would be fine to pop in on top. Okay. Pet chat and literally being listened to right around the world. I love that you're getting messages, Kimberly, from your mum, Heidi saying, (laughs) wave to your mum on the cam. (laughs) Hi, Heidi. We're all waving now. You can check us out too. Why not? To nurfm.com.au. Let's go to David uh, in Toronto. David, a question for Dr. Kimberly Earle on your nine-year-old border collie cross. Yes, yeah. Um, he scratches the grass out of the ground and then sort of sticks his nose in and tries to, and eats the dirt. Yeah, sorry. There, that's okay. Um, yeah, that's listen. It's a really common problem, um, and border collie crosses are very intelligent dogs, so they've got a lot of brain power happening behind their eyes there. Um, so one of the things I'd always say is that it's likely that he's sniffing out various different things in the ground. So depending on how long you've been there, um, at some point somebody may have used some, um, you know, some blood and bone meal in the in the garden in the dirt that he's sniffing. Um, there's definitely been reported cases of dogs who are sniffing out grubs and eating that. Um, oftentimes there's you know old dog buried bones, various different things in there, um, and they they use it as a form of you know just sort of enrichment. Like what what can I dig up out of here? So particularly for board border collies because they they are a dog that tends to have a high requirement for exercise and they're quite intelligent we would often recommend using um, some sort of a foraging toy to try to direct their energy elsewhere so rather than feeding your dog out of a bowl go and get yourself a set of um, kong toys or other feeding toys there's there's a whole raft of them out there um, from multiple different suppliers and start feeding your dog out of a toy rather than just out of a bowl because we know that even if it only takes them still 15 20 25 minutes to eat rather than the two 
two minutes it probably takes from the ball, it does tend to give them a sense of um, accomplishment and maybe relaxation. That's probably anthropomorphizing a little bit, but it seems to cause these dogs to sort of have a feeling of like, I've, I've accomplished something, I've managed to get my food, um, and it can calm them and reduce some of those you know other behaviors. I definitely would be careful about what you do put down in the grass and in the soil, anything, you know... Um, chukpu or anything like that that you're using for fertilizer is likely to uh, make that digging behavior um, worse Um, and making sure that the dog is getting as much exercise as you can appropriate for their age and and fitness level um, to make sure that you know they have an outlet that way for for doing that sort of things there are people who um, talk about doing um, you know, baiting their yards with with different sort of smells and things, so that the dogs can actually go around and try um, to to have a bit of a sniff safari in the backyard. But sometimes that will um, backfire, and they'll start to just dig and chew at different things as well. So you need to be a little bit careful about that. But I would definitely, you know, digging is a normal behavior for dogs, but it's something that we find um, unpleasant because it leaves holes in our lawns, unfortunately. But we have to remember it is a normal behavior for dogs. Yeah, it's just that it's about the size of his nozzle, and I thought he might have been missing out on um, minerals or something, you know. Yeah, listen, if you're feeding a decent quality dog food, it's pretty unlikely that he is. Yeah. If you are making your home, your own meals, um, you know, and he's eating predominantly a home-cooked meal, that is a possibility. Um, but if he's eating a decent quality dog food, it's pretty unlikely. Most likely he's just gotten himself a taste for something that's underneath the ground there, and whether it's, right, yeah. um, whether it's grubs and things. Um, I've actually heard some people say that they reckon that they can hear the um it's like cicadas when they're under the ground and that they're oh. going after that potentially yeah. and so you know who knows what it is he's targeting underneath there but it's unlikely that he's he's got any significant nutritional deficiency that's good to oh, know. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good on you for Thanks checking, David. You're very welcome. Responsible pet owner right there. Uh, let's go to Rosie now in Mitford. Now, Rosie, you have a 12-year-old. Is it Waimarama? Sheep uh, dog? Mar- Marema. Oh, Marema. okay. Sorry. Mm, yeah. Um, and a bit of arthritis there? Yeah, a bit of arthritis in the back legs and also one of the front legs. So, you know, I've started her back on fish oil tablets and yep. some... Um, Activated turmeric and everything. I'm just wondering if there's more things I can do. There Um, are. Can I put her on? Should I change her from the food that she's on to, say, Hills Joint Care? Yeah, listen, there's there's quite a few of those, um, you know, good good dog food companies that will have joint um, supplement type foods. Um, Yeah, listen, I think they're quite good. They do tell us that fish oils are great, turmeric is great, um, but they do tell us that to get a high enough quantity in them for joint health that they have to be processed quite high so like what what we run into is sometimes people are having to give you know five six seven eight um, fish oil capsules and in its and it's straight form like that that can add quite a lot of calories to the dog without them actually getting the benefit so some of those joint support foods actually have quite a good high level of some of those things like turmeric and and fish oils in them but in a form where the calories are regulated because you, you don't want any dog that's got arthritis you don't want them becoming overweight um, we always tell people in consult that there's no drug that will do a better job of getting your patient your pet comfortable if they've got arthritis there's no drug as good as weight loss if they're overweight or having a good body condition so you know I think looking at something like that is good there are lots of other um, products and things that your your veterinarian or potentially some of them in the pet shop but some of the better ones are, are from your veterinarian is that um, the injections they there's can injections yeah there's pentasan polysulfate injections Injections, which they can be given and they're not fancy we're not injecting into joints they're underneath the skin like a vaccine um, but they can be really helpful for some patients um, there's some really good um, 
joint supplements, you know, um, edible joint supplements that can be really good. And some of them utilize um, marine components like green lip muscle and shark cartilage. Um, one of my favorite ones doesn't utilize any of that because I'm always a bit hesitant to pull, be pulling things out of the ocean. So it's a, it's a plant-based one, but it seems to be doing some really good things. Um, and then, you know, a 12-year-old Marema, that, that's, a, that's a good old big dog. Mm. Um, you know, there's a good chance that if you had a discussion with your veterinarian that they might actually say, listen, you know, it's worthwhile having some prescription medications on at home. And you might not need them every day, but, you know, a lot of these dogs would benefit from a dose once or twice a week. Um, and as they get progressively older, sometimes you know using them more frequently than that is um, is required to keep them happy because we really want to keep our old dogs comfortable you know it 's no no good if they live to fifteen years of age, but the last two years are really painful and horrible for them so um, so what you know, sort of medicines are you talking about or usually anti inflammatories you know your your veterinarian can recommend their whatever their preferred anti-inflammatory um, drug. There's, there's lots of them on the market, meloxicam and carprofen and um, uh, just trying to think of some of the others, peroxicam. There, there's lots of different ones on the market. Um, they'll all be prescription drugs, though, so you'll need to have a, um, you know, a visit with your, with your veterinarian. Um, the cartrophin injections or, or pentasan injections, that's the active ingredient. Uh, again, lots of different brands on the market. For sure, your veterinarian will have you know, whatever their preferred brand is. And there's a few different protocols. In our practice, we typically would give one injection a week for four weeks and then either single injections every four to eight weeks after that or sometimes we have some patients that just come in twice a year. They get their four injection series twice a year, and that seems to do them, um, you know, pretty good every six months. So okay. lots of different protocols. Um, but certainly going into into winter, this is the time of year where we're going to start to see a lot of arthritic old dogs starting to be a little bit more stiff and sore and achy. Should we be getting those injections now or waiting get, a little longer? I'd get them started because they take a bit of time. Frequently our, our clients tell us that they don't think the dogs – um, have a big change until they've had the third or even the fourth okay. injection. So they're not a miracle cure. They're not going to fix it. And remembering that our osteoarthritis is a is a progressive condition. We can't cure it. We can just manage it and try to um, ameliorate the signs of it. Okay. Thank you for the call, Rosie. Dr. Kimberly Earl is here to answer your questions. Having a look at our dog of the week, though, and uh, introducing you to Harlow. Gorgeous picture, wouldn't you say, Kimberly? She's very cute. She's wearing a, a you know, like a, a lay around her lay. neck. Yeah, it's beautiful with flowers. Now, Harlow is a one-year-old female Mastiff cross. She's a super good dog, and she is looking for a new family of her very own. She's active, but she also appreciates having a good sleep, which is excellent. That's good for yeah. a one-year-old dog. Yeah, yep. certainly. She's got a little love heart on her ear. I think one of the spots are in the shape of a love heart and apparently that matches her personality. She's got a lot of love to give. She does enjoy a cuddle and the really good thing is she currently lives with uh, children and also another dog, a seven-year-old Staffy, and she gets along really well with both of them. So I guess that's quite a good sign, Kimberly, if, obviously if it you've is. got kids or yep. a, another another dog that may be a companion. Yep, she's a nice young dog, so that speaks well to the fact that she'll have lots of prospective um, homes to go to with kids and, and dog-friendly um, so that's good. Yeah. So look, um, she she loves going for a walk. She's still learning to walk on the lead. Obviously, more training. You know, mm. that's something that you continue sure. with your dog. Yes. So um, more training needed for that sort of thing. But it sounds like all in all, uh, she is a young dog and she's a really well mannered dog. So if you're interested, please check out Harlow. 
She looks cute. How, I think she'll get a home pretty quickly. How big yeah. will, will they get, uh, Kimberly, uh, across it's, like that? Yeah, it's often, it's hard to know. I mean, to look at the picture, she looks like she's maybe a Labrador-sized dog, but it's it's a little bit hard to know just from the sort of face picture. I mean, Mastiffs can be quite large breed dogs, Um but you know, she's, she's it's it's hard to say. I mean, yeah. at one year of age, whatever she is now, she's not likely to get significantly bigger than that. That's helpful for you someone know, looking maybe, at maybe adopting. Maybe a little bit. Um, some of our our giant breed dogs will you know take up to fourteen, eighteen months to get to their full adult size. But she's going to be pretty you know pretty close to that. Um, and yeah, it looks like she's a pretty well well adjusted dog. Doesn't seem to have too many behavior problems or anything. So if you're interested in learning more about mm-hmm. Harlow, head to two and you and look at Dog of the Week. Now, Kimberly, for a long time, um, you know, people in the know like yourself, our, our veterinarians have been telling us that grapes and raisins aren't good for our dogs, mm-hmm. that they're quite, they can be very toxic. But up until now, we didn't really know why. That's right. So it really, um, pretty exciting news for, for people like myself, veterinarians. Uh, last week, some information was published by the um, ASPCA, that's the American Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals in the United States, and they um, run the um, uh, pet poisons hotline and things like that there. And they've finally, um, or they've published some information where they finally think that they have found the toxic component of grapes, which we've never known before. And it's a, ho- it's a funny toxicity because it's not a dose-dependent toxicity or it doesn't appear to be a dependent toxicity so it's you know some dogs would eat a handful of grapes and have no problems but there have been case reports of other dogs that have eaten a handful of grapes and gone into um, fatal kidney failure and that was a confusing thing it's wasn't it there seemed to be yeah. no rhyme or reason as to how how much and some Correct. dogs are fine others weren't yeah so you know some people will go oh it's fine i've been feeding my dogs grapes for years and they've never had problems and then other people you know give their dog three or four grapes and they end up in trouble so they've finally identified or they they believe they've identified the toxic component which is potassium bitartrate and tartaric acid. And they found this because they actually had some cases of dogs um, reported to have eaten um, cream of tartar and and develop very similar toxicities and kidney failure due to the cream of tartar. And okay. so when they've then gone and looked, it turns out that potassium bitartrate is actually a component in grapes. And it, it's a p- component of the grapes that changes a lot throughout the um, the ripening, the growth and the ripening process. So um, as the grapes start to ripen, apparently it's in quite high quantities, um, but later on it sort of gets utilized and it's in much lower quantities. Okay. Also various different processing um, uh processes, processing processes, um, can reduce or, or, or detartrate that um, that chemical out of them. So things like jams and wines and things may um, reduce it to significant you know, amounts. So this is probably the explanation for why some dogs can seemingly have no problems and other dogs get into very big problems. So that's been determined by the time we purchase the grapes. So mm. it's got nothing to do with whether the grapes are quite fresh or yeah, old. Yeah, and or... apparently different varieties of grapes will have an inherently different component. So I think potentially some grapes used for wine will be different to grapes that are used for eating. Um, but it sounds like even, you know, sitting in our fridge for seven to ten days might change the um, oh, so components. it can so change it. Okay. I think it potentially can. But I don't think we know enough about it. It's, it's literally, this is like breaking news practically because it only just came out in the veterinary world last week literally just before Easter Um, and I think it's a preliminary study Um, I think definitely we're going to need to do more research but now they at least have something to look at because before we were all just going we don't know why just don't do it you know because it's not you you couldn't guarantee I couldn't ever guarantee that your dog had only eaten two or three grapes and that wasn't going to be a problem Um, so the the dosage 
ranges reportedly causing toxicity can be quite different. And that is interesting because I remember years ago when you were saying this for the first mm. time that I'd heard, I said, oh, no, Gizmo eats the kids' um, raisins all the time. You know, yeah. if they drop it, he would follow them. He loved it. Yeah. And he's been okay. And at the time he said, yeah, he might not be the next time. You that's just right. don't know. Yeah, so. that's right. So I, at the moment our advice would still be if your dog has had um, a grape or raisin um, ingestion to seek veterinary help and it's always – it's always better to do it earlier rather than later. Make them vomit so that they're not absorbing enough of the stuff. But hopefully, you know, if we watch this space, hopefully in the next few years, we'll have better information, better way to, um, you know, identify whether your pet is actually at risk or not. So, okay. Yeah. Kimberly, we've had another email come through. This one is from Lauren in Merriweather. Now, she's got an older dog. She said her dog's 13 years old, a mm-hmm. Shih Tzu, and it's starting to wake at night. Um, she's taking it to the toilet once a night, but it doesn't seem to be the issue. It just is waking and restless. Okay. Um, So listen, dogs can get doggy dementia, or we call it um, canine cognitive decline syndrome. Um, And often one of the um, symptoms that we see will be a change in their sleep-wake cycle. And a lot of these dogs will start to have... um, difficulty sleeping through the night they start to wake up they start to pace Uh, sometimes it's to do with going to the toilet but often it's not Um, and just like in humans dementia is not curable but there are lots of things that we can do um, particularly if you're seeing issues with um, other sort of funny behaviors you know the dogs are staring off into space or barking at walls sometimes their appetite changes sometimes their toileting habits change they may become more anxious um so it's it's a bit of a complex thing but definitely worthwhile speaking um to your veterinarian about um because there are some supplements and medications depending on the severity of it that can um, be useful it's not an easy problem and sometimes we have to try lots of different things to see what's going to work but there are there are things that can make a big difference for sure well kimberly i think that's just about it for us today that's gone quickly, has it not? It's flown by. Yeah. yeah it's flown by. Well, I hope we see you again very soon. Uh, September. I've got a couple dates. One in September, one in November for sure. And okay. then it just depends on <laughs> It'll come it soon goes. enough with yeah, the rate that this year's going. I know. It's already April. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That is Pet Chat uh, for another week. If you do have a question, I get a few people that say, look, I can't call during Pet Chat. Then you can send us an email, which more and more people have been doing, which is great at 2NURFM.com.au. And uh, going to the pet chat page, you'll find the email there. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.